Hey y'all, it's Io here and welcome to episode 11 of The Nook. Thank you so much for joining me today. As always, I'm here to help you by answering your questions on teaching students with severe and profound disabilities, including autism. We have a great question today from Lakia, but before we get to her question, I want to remind you that you can have your question answered on The Nook by heading over to the website and submitting a question today. If your question is chosen for the podcast, you'll receive a free resource from the Noodle Nook store. The Noodle Nook store is full of items that are adapted especially for students with disabilities, including items for vocational training, adapted novels to promote literacy, functional math activities, and of course, visual and communication supports. So make sure that you head on over to the store and check out the resources and submit your question today so you can get one for free. All right, here's today's question from Lakia. I have a student who refuses to work refuses. I'm sorry, she, that was in bold. Refuses to work, refuses. I'm not exactly sure what to do. I've tried to build a relationship, but that's just not cutting it. What should I do next? So Lakia, this is a common occurrence that students are in our classrooms and really just refuse to work. And it didn't really give a lot more information in there, but before we really talk about some of the steps that you can do to address the student's refusal to work, we actually need to understand more about why the student is refusing to work. So let's start by talking about a couple of reasons your student might refuse to work in your classroom. For those of you who are listening, you might feel similar to Lakia and have the same problem in your classroom. So really think about the function of the behavior of not working. So I'm going to give you four reasons why a student might not work in your classroom. The first one is the student might not know how to do the work. Sometimes it's surprising how often we have negative behaviors or refusal to work because a student legitimately just doesn't know what to do and doesn't know how to tell you they don't know what to do. Um, So the behavior is the way for the student to inform you that they're not sure what you want or how how to get it done. Now, this happens, too, for students in life skills, in autism units, in functional classrooms who are actually put there from a gen ed or resource or in-class support environment where they are very socially aware but do really struggle academically and have for so long not know how to do the work, they don't even want to try. So when you're talking about why a student is refusing to work, it's good to consider, is it because the student does not know how? Another reason that a student may refuse to do work is because they're just not motivated to do it. There's nothing in it for them. So I'm not going to get anything out of it. I'm not going to put anything into it. So one of the other reasons why you might have a student refuse to work is because they're just not motivated to do the work. Another reason a student might not do the work is because they don't like it. So they've done it. They've seen that worksheet before. They've done this activity before. They just don't like the activity. They're not a fan of whatever content area you're working on, they don't like it. And then that was reason three. Reason four could be they just like to say no. Oh my God, oppositional defiance is a thing and it is literally a a killer. It's just a killer. If you've ever worked with a student who just says no to say no, no matter what you ask, it is so frustrating. So having been there several times, I hope, Lakia, that is not the situation for you. But we're going to talk about all four of these and how you can address the problem depending on what the function is of the refusal behavior. Let's start with a student not knowing how to do it. 
When you start working with a student who's refusing to work because they don't know how, it's really important that you review your expectations with them right from the get-go. And some of those expectations could be, I just want you to try. It's okay if we get them wrong. Just some re reaffirmation that whatever the student produces is going to be okay. Sometimes that's the hump you need to get over with a student who's not worked for so long. The other part of that is you might want to model some of the steps in the process the way you want them done as you review the expectations. So it's not a moment to reteach all of the skills, but really just walk through the steps, kind of like you would assume a student would already know the materials, but it's more so that a student who doesn't know how, who's really resistant about telling you they don't know how, to review real quick and see what it is that they're supposed to be doing. Depending on how you approach that, the student may feel comfortable enough asking some questions or giving it a shot at least and, and getting more information. And then the other part of that for a student who may not know how is to really shorten the tasks. There is nothing worse than being challenged by an activity and then being given a worksheet with 50 problems that you have to complete. Think about how much work time you want a student to accomplish instead of work volume. So sometimes shortening that task and making it a little bit easier, modifying the, the questions is the way to go for a student who's really struggling with getting through the, the, these early steps of learning the skill as opposed to the later steps of reviewing the skill. So if you're working with a student who doesn't know how, review those expectations, review the steps, and shorten the task. Now if you're working with a student who's just not motivated to do something, <laughs> motivation is huge, right? Uh, there's a couple other things you would want to do with a student like that. First off is to set up some kind of rewards system, some kind of motivational factor. So if you're not using a rewards chart or a token economy board, those would be some of the ones that I would suggest first. I would also suggest putting in place a visual schedule or first then chart. So sometimes we can't motivate the students with the work. What we're motivating with them is what they're going to get when the work is done. So adding those visual supports in place to remind the student what they're working for becomes super important. And I've said this before to other people, I use first then and reward charts with my kids, and I always have. I went, and if you've ever had this, I'm sure everyone listening has had to go take pictures with their kids, and you know it is the worst day ever having to get everyone dressed and in the car and driving to the portrait place and making sure no one got wrinkled or dirty and staying together and getting there and when you get there of course they're not running on time and you have to wait and the kids are getting squirrely and they're rolling all over each other messing up the clothes and then you get in the room and you're looking a mess because you've gone through all of this and you're trying to get everybody to smile normally <sighs> I used a cutout of an ice cream cone on our last picture day it was not a real ice cream cone I just needed a visual to remind the kids that I wanted good behavior, and if they could do the good behavior, we were going to get the ice cream. Now, I've done this before, and of course all parents have, saying, I want you to do the good thing, and we're going to go get ice cream. But this cutout of the actual ice cream cone did wonders. When my kids were behaving, they got to have it and hold it as soon as they started to get off the rails. I would say, hey, I'm going to take your ice cream cone back, and have them physically hand it over to me. And it was just such a visual and physical reminder of what my expectations were and what they were working for. It was beyond what I ever could do with just verbal reminders. So think about that ice cream cone inside of your classroom. How is the visuals that you're putting in place reminding a person or a student what they're working for? 
those visuals and those first ends are what you need to get that student motivated. If they're not in place, you probably are not going to be as successful as you want to be. The third thing that I want to offer you for students who are not motivated to get the work done is to offer some choice. Sometimes our students are offered no choice throughout their day. People just keep presenting them with things that they may or may not like. And the motivation goes out the window. It's like I went to all the job work and effort to get something done. And then as soon as I was finished, the teacher rewarded me with more work that I don't like. I'm not going to get the work done because they just give me more that I don't prefer. So it could be that just offering choice, even if the choice is between not two non-preferred tasks, at least then I've chosen what I get to do next. So offering choice can sometimes be a really good motivator. All right, so we had also talked about kids just don't like the work. And again, I'm going to go back to kind of what we just talked about. We want to make sure that we're giving our, cho our students choices. Choice, 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 even if it's non-preferred, gives the student more ownership in the tasks and their completion. The second step, of course, is to keep your options fresh. If you are working on worksheets and task boxes that you designed and made up 20 years ago and you haven't freshened them up lately, please get a fresh set. <laughs> Let's time, it's time to update. Let's get those looking fresh and new. Our students, especially those in self-contained environments, sometimes end up working on the same task, the same kind of task, the same activities over and over and over again. And they just don't like it anymore. They've done it too many times. So having those fresh options is super important. And then again, we want to find that motivation and use all those tips from the motivation step. Find an activity that the student likes, find motivational things that a student will work for, and then put those on a first, then, or visual schedule so that a student knows what they are working for. Even if they don't like it, they'll do it so they can get the thing they do like. And then there's this last category of students, right? We've talked about kids who just don't know how. We've talked about kids who are not motivated. We've talked about kids who just don't like it. Now we're going to talk about those kids who just like to say no. Oh, it breaks my heart even just thinking about it because they are the ones that challenge your will, your strength, your ability to get out of bed in the morning and come back to school. And we're going to talk about this in the same terms that we've kind of talked about everything else. That no response sometimes is a conditioned response that we've really taught the student because no is a good refusal. Over time, they just learn to say no, no matter what you're going to say, they don't want it. So here's an opportunity for you to build in some choice. Sometimes how we phrase the choice is really the make or break, right? So if someone came up to you and said, what would you want? Do you want to go get something to eat? Well, if you're a person who always says no, the answer is going to be no. Even if you do want something to eat, we're going to say no. So asking, do you want to get, go get something to eat, is just almost a little too open-ended. What if I said, do you want pizza or burger for lunch? Now I've limited your choices, still offered you choice, but we're not phrasing it in a yes or no response. We're phrasing it by two choices that you can pick between. So offering the student choice is definitely number one, and that can be between preferred and non-preferred. But number two is phrasing things in a way that is not, you can't answer with a no. You're making these choice, a choice between two options instead of a choice between a yes and no response. And then the last thing is to really develop a reward system. I mean, if you're not using a rewards chart or some kind of token economy reward system in your classroom, 
Students like this who say no all the time become a little bit easier to deal with when you can have some conversation with them without using your words and allowing no to work into the conversation. So by using a reward system, setting up those expectations, and then rewarding a student when they're doing the right thing, it removes some of that verbal and oral language and those opportunities for students to say no. And it allows them to work for something they do want, something they are motivated by. Now, in severe cases, you could even have two preferred activities. Would you like Skittles or M&Ms? And a kid loves Skittles and M&Ms. And they're going to say no. But at least when we're working with a reward system or a rewards chart, we can put that motivational factor on there and have a student working for a task, even when they're being defiant, so they can start to learn this work reward system. And we want them to learn that work reward system so that they can be more successful in the long term. So just to recap, we've got students who don't know how, who are not motivated, who don't like it, and those who are just oppositional and say no to everything. And when you're working with students like that, we have a couple of different options of what to do. So you really have to know the function of a student's behavior before you can start to define your plan. Lakia, I hope this helps you to get started with your student who refuses to work because, man, I have been there and it makes the days really frustrating. So please uh, send me an email and let me know which one of these strategies worked for you. And if you're listening um, and you've had a student like this who's refused to work, what worked for you inside of your classroom? Hopefully you'll come back to this page and comment on the bottom so that other teachers who are having the same challenges can benefit from your expertise. So I hope that this helps you out, Lakia. Thank you so much for the question. I'm gonna send you out a free classroom uh, materials from the Noodle Next Door so that you can get things going. And good luck. For those of you listening, if you want to have your question answered here on the Nook, head over to www.noodlenook.net and click on the podcast button to submit your question. I just want to mention one more thing. You know, we talked about motivationals, reward systems, and visuals and first thens inside of a classroom. And if you have not put any of these things in place and you're teaching in a special ed unit or autism classroom, I highly, highly suggest that you get those things started. I want to urge you to go over to the Noodle Next Door and check out the rewards chart as well as the visual schedule. Two things that you absolutely need to have in your classroom. These resources help so, so much. And come on back to www.noodlenook.net and read the articles that we have on using rewards chart and how to fade them because those supports are really essential when you're having a student with this issue where they're doing some work refusal. All right, guys, there are so many questions out there about how to be the best teacher you can be when you work with low-incident students and students with severe disabilities like autism, and we need all the great teachers we can, so stay strong out there and teach on. Thanks for listening to The Nook. Don't miss the next episode by subscribing now. Visit www.noodlenook.net slash podcast. Bye, y'all.